God damn you. It is a little strange that we have such an aversion to slavery uh, because historically there have been abuses for many people, poor people, perhaps people who weren't educated, perhaps people who had no other opportunity. Working for a gentle, caring, loving master was the best of all possible worlds. Campus is a loaded minefield. There are girls everywhere. It's guaranteed that I will pass some attractive girls as I walk in between classes. If it's not requiring her to sin, but simply hurting her, then I think she endures verbal abuse for a season, and she endures perhaps being smacked one night, and then she seeks help from the church. It would be hard for me to see how a woman could be a drill sergeant, right face, left face, keep your mouth shut, private, oh, oh, over, over men without violating their sense of manhood and her sense of womanhood. Go home. They want power, not equality. This is the highest location they can ascend to that power in the evangelical church. We are meaning makers and storytellers. And the stories we tell ourselves are the stories that shape our lives. We need each other badly or goodly. We need each other. And we keep forgetting again and again and again that we are loved. And we say, no, I'm no good. No, I messed it all up. No, I feel so guilty. No, I feel so ashamed. We need each other. In the midst of this difficult, dark, and often violent world, we need to have a community of support to which we can call all people and be a community of hope. Well, hello there, friends, and welcome to another episode of The Opening. And it has been a day. It is in, for those who don't know, I live in South Carolina, and it is not normally that cold here, but we have been having a winter storm and have had a a ton of snow and ice dumped. And so for us, we got five kids, and so it has been a day of, you know, getting the kids ready spending 30 minutes it feels like getting all their layers on all their clothes on and and getting them out into the snow where they could play and then maybe a few minutes later you know they're they're too cold and they oh no they got to come back in the house and then they're soaking wet and they got to get all their stuff off and and you know they're they're done for the day and then within another 30 minutes they're ready to to start the whole process over again and so I'm a bit tired, and uh, but it's it's nice for the kids to to see snow. They're not used to it, and uh, and so it's been a really fun experience for for them. And and so speaking of things that don't normally happen, I don't normally do interviews on this podcast. And and one of the reasons why is is because I I have five kids, and it's not exactly the easiest thing in the world to schedule interviews uh, when you might have kids crawling all over you in the middle of the interview and I don't want to be you know I want to be respectful of other people's time and and then also because I I have things that I want to say and uh, 
things that I've been thinking about. And, and so that's been a, an opportunity to, to have this space where I can, I can share those things it has been really fun. So maybe in another season of life, I might be able to do some more interviews, but I, I don't plan on doing them at this point, at this time that often. But with that said, Richard Dixon is a scientist and a journalist from London, and he and I, we, we didn't know each other, but I had said something on Twitter, and he inter- interacted with it a little bit, and we, we had a little bit of an unexpected back and forth, and so he, he reached out and said, hey, would you like to, to talk about some of this a little bit? And so I said, sure, and, and uh, he lives in London, so we met at 1 o'clock in the morning my time, 6 o'clock in the morning his time. And had a really good conversation. And so I just wanted to, to start off at the beginning here and just just uh, preface the conversation with a few things. First of all, R- Richard Dixon is an atheist, and I am not an atheist. Uh, but I think I, I, I'm, I, have, I have no problem with that. And, and I think for too long, there has been a, um, a way that Christians and atheists have had conversations on... Uh, on the internet, you'll see them all over YouTube, or you'll see them at events, and and too often there there's this face to face arguing Christian versus atheist thing going on. Like it, it kind of reminds me of the old Monday Night Football uh, episodes where the uh, the helmets would would lift up and then they'd crash into one another and you know explode and and. I always, I always loved watching those those Monday Night Football openers as I, when I was a kid, and I think that's what a lot of these conversations turn into. And a, a few years ago, I so I create music under the artist's name Provoke Wonder, and a few years ago, I I began to uh, I, I did an album called Consider the Stars, and basically the my approach for that was you know what if creation or what if what if Christians and atheists could go from face-to-face arguing with one another, to sitting side-by-side and observing the reality that we find ourselves in, and then begin affirming what each other are seeing, and and then in learning from each other's stories, and then from that place, turning face-to-face again and seeing the humanity in one another, and, and, and loving our, our neighbors as ourselves. And and so that's that's the approach that I, I take in life with my atheist friends. I'm not an atheist, but um, I'm I'm not out to get them, and uh, I'm, I want to I want to process reality with them and and see their humanity, and and that's what I hope to to model in this conversation as well. And you know, my in my intro for the for the podcast, I have Henry Nowen there at the end, and and he says that we need one another. And I think that's, that's true of, of Christians, atheists, Muslims, Buddhists, uh, agnostics, whatever you may, wherever you may find yourself in the religious or non-religious spectrum. Uh, I, I think it's important for us to, uh, to see when we, when we go face to face to see each other's humanity and not simply to be this, um, arguing, uh, antagonistic um, presence for one another. And so uh, in this conversation, we, we're going to divide it up into two parts. And in, in this part, we, we talk about um, how we understand reality. Um, we, 
we talk about being willing to face the abuses of your own community. We get into things like separation of church and state, of capitalism and social justice, and about cherry-picking Jesus and the Bible. And, and again, we had not had any kind of personal conversations before this. We did not set any ground rules. It was just, we're going to see where it goes. And, uh, and, and it was a really fun conversation. So we'll divide it into two parts, uh, this one, and then um, we'll do part two next week. So, hi. Yeah. Hopefully, you would think one in the morning would be a a safe time to talk, but you never know. Maybe one of the kids might wake up with nightmares or something. Yeah. Well, all I've got to contend with really is, um, well, wife who's a light sleeper and also three dogs. Oh, wow. (laughs) They're they're away somewhere else in the house, so normally they're fairly... uh, they don't get frisky quite yet, but in an hour's time, they start saying, uh-huh. you know, we need to get out. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, thank you very much for um, agreeing to, uh, well, just, well, let's just see what happens. You never yeah. know, this might become a, might be a regular thing. Who knows, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So we, um, we just kind of met a little bit on Twitter. I had posted something more Trump related, I think, if yes. I remember right. And then, yeah you'd kind of interacted with that some and it kind of we just had a little bit of a back and forth on there and decided to yeah. to chat about it a little bit yeah yeah so, so i don't know whether you i don't know where you want to start i mean um i mean i'd be quite happy to uh talk a bit about uh you know get a, um a sort of an individual perspective from you on um the anniversary of uh, January sixth. I mean, that would be something I'd be quite interested to yeah, uh, definitely. talk talk about. Um, I mean, just to say, I'd, again, I don't expect you to um, uh, follow my every last tweet, but I did make a point, <laughs> and it was the middle of the night. Of um, I watched the um, the two hour uh, CNN live thing which they did from uh the capitol building the other night with um jake tapper and uh, anderson cooper and um it was i thought it was a very as i think i said on my tweet i thought it was a very um dignified um marking of the anniversary but what the course was absolutely um uh, what did s- sort of stick out like a sore thumb was the almost total lack of any re- any involvement from the Republican Party, mm-hmm. um, apart from uh, Liz Cheney, who's the uh, she was the only Republican on the program, and that was not because um, uh, other Republicans wouldn't have been invited, but there seemed to be a, a blanket. Um, boycott of everything that went on in the building on the day and um there was this rather you know who'd have thought that um from my personal perspective and as someone who was um uh from at a national newspaper level helping the coverage of um you know the conflicts in the middle east i mean who'd have thought that um of all people dick cheney would be um 
<laughs> the one the one person from the previous generation who actually uh you know came into the chamber and uh was i think showing the right level of reality about uh what had gone on but i mean anyway that's that's my preamble yeah. but um be very interested to hear from you what yeah, you thought just, about um, it I, I, to, I to start off on what you just mentioned there just starting with the the way it's developed over the last couple of days like there seems to be i mean there's always going to be a a partisan nature to it where you know if the democrats are offended by something the republicans aren't going to care or if the republicans are offended by something the democrats might not care but there seems to be this um i don't know like an insecurity on the part of the republicans here like they're not willing to face their demons yeah does that make sense like yeah I mean, the thing that, uh, I mean, you know, Liz, Liz Cheney was sitting there, and I can't remember his name, but was sitting there with the, she's the, um, I think, vice chair of the January 6th committee. And uh, I can't remember his name, but the uh, the chairman, who is a, a very much a, well, you know, he's he's a you know, left of centre uh uh, black guy. I'm not. I'm not even sure where which state he's from. I just didn't. I'm sorry. I hadn't checked that. But um, you know, she said, you know, we're going to have. Uh, re- we're going to continue to have really, really big differences of opinion on lots of stuff. But when it comes to basic factual information and you know respect for the constitution. Um, we're on the same page, and and what what's what, what seems to be the case from what I'm hearing here, and you know, media I'm tapping into, is that the Republican Party has uh, the the GOP has um, basically become a, a a personality cult for Donald Trump, and looking forward to the midterms. It's looking like um, what I would call the reality Republicans, those who acknowledge that January the sixth was instigated by Trump and his um, and his and his supporters. Um, that that anybody who doesn't sign up to um, uh, basically being a Trumpite and really uh, being in denial about the what happened on January the 6th is is not going to get um, is possibly not even going to get on the ballot paper. Yeah. Did you see that tweet by Franklin Graham about uh, where he put the January 6th committee in quotation marks and then talked about basically blame shifted it onto, you know, corrupt Washington, which, you know, he's assuming is all Democrats. Yeah. And and you know, as people, I mean, I, I, I again, I think I, I commented. Well, there was a tweet he he put out about that um, January the sixth had been politicised, mm-hmm. uh, referring to the politicisation. I mean, we what well, well, what was it about then? I mean, if it wasn't about politics, what was it about? And I mean, my comment on that was that you know he he'd um, you know in a, in the in an area of public life he'd moved into the territory beyond vacuous i mean it's just absolutely unbelievable that somebody can actually think that and and even more you know just spout it out i mean it's the, the, it's the, i think what what has 
broken down, it seems, is um, any agreement on what on on basic factual information and mm-hmm. uh, and, and and the Trump uh, presidency, in my view. Uh, yes, I am prejudiced. Um, the Trump era, in my view, seems to have been an era in which, um, f- from the White House, there has been this culture of denial of basic facts. I mean, it started right with his inauguration, where um, you know the, the the White House was whoever it, I can't remember which spokesman it was then, because there were so many of them. Um, but the White House spokesman, you know, claiming that you know this was the most in the most, uh, you know, the biggest inauguration crowd in <laughs> in the history of the republic, and clearly it wasn't. The photographic mm. evidence was no, it's not. And there's been this. It's it's amazing how so many, you know, so many people in the states. I mean, I've I've travelled to the states a few times um, uh, for work and for for pleasure, and it just amazes me that such a huge part of the population seems to now be have bought into this um it is an alternative reality which is a polite way mm-hmm. of saying it's you know it's bs yeah yeah and, and i think you know donald trump doesn't get to where he was without the franklin grahams of the world and without yeah. the the evangelical crowd especially and yes. um i think that really we could have seen this coming for for decades and 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 i think what you're hitting on here is absolutely key that there's this alternative reality thing going on here i mean you know these are people who believe that the universe is six thousand years old that all of humanity descended from two people six thousand years ago that there was a global flood i mean we literally have completely different understandings of reality here yeah 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 i mean it, it what what has been particularly um fascinating for me because um uh you know i've moved from you know i i was a um a christian of various persuasions basic you know but by what i would call gentle but it was nevertheless childhood indoctrination that's where it started for me not in the family but just in the community mm-hmm. um and a very different experience from the sort of quote-unquote indoctrination that one might have in the states i think uh in lots of ways um but um one of the things that has the thing that's really one of the things that really struck me about the particularly the the trump um uh, or the rise of trump politically is that the um that white evangelicals who i had mistakenly thought had uh concern for uh truth in inverted commas um you know the truth will set you free and all that all that mm-hmm. stuff that the that, that honesty uh truth um we can maybe get into the um uh the wider issue of um you know belief systems but actually day-to-day truth and decency and um this would apply to business where you know if somebody if you go to a shop and buy something you pay for it and you you know there's there's no problem with the transaction you understand that um 
you know the, the person behind the counter has has bought the goods and um they have to make a living and you give them something extra effectively on what they pay so those basic transactional day-to-day transactional things and yet this white evangelical um demographic seems to have just completely thrown away um you know the baby jesus with the bathwater the the, you know Mm -hmm. whatever else i i would have expected of uh white evangelicals whatever they believe or don't believe about how old the earth is and all that stuff basic decent decency and honesty and that seems just to have been completely jettisoned it's quite extraordinary Mm -hmm. yeah i feel like there's a there's a paranoia and and definitely a fear like i um i in my junior high and high school years was in the 90s when bill clinton came into office and so that was right after you know the 12 years of of glory days for republicans you know yeah and so, so right, right, two lots of Reagan and Bush. Senior. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So they're in, and I was in the South. So, like, yeah. we literally had, um, we literally had a Civil War reenactment going on right across the street from our school, and we we're always hearing bombs going off during class. Wow. Wow. And uh, and so, you know, in the Civil War, of course, you know, it was all it wasn't about slavery. We were told and everything, and right, and yeah. you know, and so, so, but there was a lot. So what of, was like, it about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there was a lot of fear about like Bill Clinton, you know, he he and the Democrats are going to hand the United States over to the UN and the, the tribulations going to start and Christians, you know, people who become Christians are going to get persecuted and have their heads chopped off. And it was like, like when I when I think about this QAnon stuff today, you know, it feels like some of the theories are so out there. But then when I think back to the things I was told in the 90s, it was yeah. the same stuff. Yeah, um, I I don't know if you've had a chance to listen to any of it, and I've I've managed to listen to some bits of it this week. But the BBC um, is doing um, a, a podcast called "The Coming Storm," and the guy who's fronting it is a a long time BBC reporter called uh, Gabriel uh, Gatehouse. And um, so he, I've, I've heard, I think, now the first three parts of it, and I'm not sure how many more of them are available at the moment or they're going to, you know, release one a week from now on. But um, so he's covering um, ba- basically starting with January the 6th. I mean, he, um, uh, I mean, I've, I've done a lot less reporting. I've done a lot more sort of in-house editing and stuff, but I've done a bit of reporting. But he laments the time, where, uh, and this is only going back to, I think it's, uh, yeah, during during the election campaign, so the latter end of um, 2020. And, um, you know, in this crowd of people he suddenly sees this guy with the um the 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 image we now know rather well the you know the the hat and the horns and the fur Mm -hmm. and he looks at this guy and he he actually speaks to him but he thinks the he's just a bit too left field for um a bbc interview and he says it on the podcast you know i'm sick to death of you know foreign reporters who um breeze into the states 
um, see a crowd of people, look at the weirdest looking person there, interview them and then say, hey, look at these crazies. <laughs> this is America. Yeah. And of course, but of course, he didn't do the interview with the um, uh, the QAnon shaman. And of course, a few weeks later, he's back in London, sitting in front of a TV screen, watching the January 6th uh, invasion unfold. And hey, there's the, the guy. guy that's the guy yeah. I, did, I should have interviewed and didn't yeah. know, eight weeks ago or something. Yeah. I was yeah, actually laughing it's... about that earlier today because I, I was watching a video of them. There's a video where they're praying to Jesus in the middle oh, yeah, of, yeah. The th- of the room. and But then he starts to pray and then he's like, oh, wait, my hat's on. I better take it off so I'm not disrespectful in this moment. Yeah, and, sure, then, yeah. and then he starts to pray again. He's like, oh, I've got another cover. Let me take that thing off, too. It's like, well, yeah, make sure. Yeah. Make sure we're concerned yes. about respect in this moment. Yeah. So, so the reason I sort of I was um, came on to that, but was because of your mention the Clintons. He covers mm-hmm. um, the, uh, the 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 rising suspicion that there was on the on the right about the Clintons. And you know this um, a lot. A lot of the um, uh, you know the, the, the obviously the QAnon stuff about um, you know the satanic um, paedophilia is 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 nonsense. But of course there were um, you know I mean I I was um, one one of the uh, um, I think one of the tr- trickiest evenings I had from a technical point of view was the was when I was at the Times. And I was actually running two desks of sub-editors, what you would call copy editors, in parallel because we were doing like holding copy for a first edition early evening. But the what was really happening was it was the, the, the Clinton impeachment stuff. And in those days, you know, it was still sort of like running takes. It was the early days mm-hmm. of um, quote-unquote new technology. And so there was an awful lot wrong with the obviously with the the Clinton administration and one of the things that uh, the, the thing that I really wasn't aware of but uh, Gatehouse covers um, uh, a very serious allegation which I know has been out there for donkey's years and it, it, it is to do with um, uh, the alleged rape by Bill Clinton of um, a, a woman who is now, she's now 71 and she speaks on the programme, um, but where she was um, trying to do some fundraising and I think it was a care home, I think so. And Clinton, so this I think would have been in Arkansas and when when Clinton was... Um, I think it's, this was probably at the stage before he was governor when he was maybe attorney general of Arkansas. But anyway, and he basically, um, <clears throat> her story is that, you know, he came to her hotel room and raped her. And um, what was fascinating is, you know, it is obviously her word against his. He denies it. <clears throat> Uh, vehemently she she maintains it's true from her perspective what's interesting is that when all the impeachment stuff came along um the um establishment including the media establishment weren't really interested in the trauma that she'd gone through they were just really interested in the sort of quote-unquote the bigger 
legal picture. Mm-hmm. And it's it's from that that, you know, years and years later, when the um, <clears throat> QAnon thing started gathering steam, it was that sort of story that actually gave, which I would, I mean, I I I, I was con- I was reasonably convinced by her testimony, if you like. Mm-hmm. Um, so, although I don't obviously, I don't buy the say obviously, I don't buy the QAnon conspiracy nonsense. Um, nevertheless, a story like that that does have some credibility, mm-hmm. and based on what we know of his um, uh, his track record generally. Um, and uh, that it it would actually help to foment um, this conspiracy thinking. Mm -hmm. So it's, um, but it's it's really quite weird. Again, this is about teasing out what is likely to be true, possibly true, and what is absolutely implausible. Yeah. Yeah, it feels like there's, you know, that, there wasn't an insurrection that happened in the nineties, like there was, you know, in 2020 or 2021, but um, there is this pattern of not, not being willing to face the weaknesses and the, the violences of your own community. um, That, that did seem to play out there potentially too, you know, at least in people's willingness to look into things. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, I, you know, I live in <clears throat> relatively liberal England. Mm-hmm. Uh, religion is, and by that I mean primarily Christianity historically, but it's really very much a sideshow. I mean, it's not without its, um, you know, that we have this weird situation here that, you know, sort of a trivial pursuit question Um which country after Iran has the most um, political places in a parliament reserved for clergy? Answer, the <laughs> United Kingdom. <laughs> we have 26. Wow. Um, we have 26 uh, specifically Anglican Church of England, i.e. like your Episcopalian guys, mm-hmm. 26 bishops with reserved seats in the upper chamber of our alleged democracy i mean it's it's utterly bizarre it's utterly bizarre because so we so the 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 weird thing is that in this country we in in england anyway uh, rather than scotland wales northern ireland because things differ but in england constitutionally we have um an established church the church of england and it has this the the queen is the um the supreme governor i think her her title is so the monarchy the head of state is all tied in with this um uh basically state religion and yet the vast majority of people uh i'm not sure how much we're allowed to cuss and swear on this but they don't give a shit really yeah. and the interesting thing is that in your country where the constitution is absolutely rock solid about separation of church and state. Um, you've got no end of people doing everything possible <laughs> to make sure that church and state aren't separated. Yeah. So it's a bizarre, bizarre situation. So what I'm interested in is, 
day to day, week to week, and I mean, I've got a rough idea of where you're where you're sitting, sitting in the sort of spectrum, as it were. But day to day, week to week, um, I mean, leading question: How nightmarish is it <laughs> to be mm-hmm. in this sort of like semi theocratic society? Yeah, it's it's really interesting, especially from my perspective, because um, I grew up as a, a fundamentalist, uh, cons- yeah. conservative evangelical, like, um, you know, I don't, I don't know if throwing names out there really helps, but I thought Franklin Graham was too liberal basically growing right. up. Yeah. And so, right. yeah. So Billy Graham what, what was, denomination were you in and all that sort of stuff? Um, independent fundamental Baptist. Right. So we okay. were very young earth creationists. Um, yeah. Southern Baptists were liberals. Al Mohler, you know, was too liberal. Oh, like, oh so so Southern Baptists were were far oh, too. Yeah. Uh, yes. Oh wow. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's where I <laughs> that's where I came from, and we were, but we thought we were balanced because you know we we did we only used the KJV, but we weren't KJV only. So we were we were uh, like you know balanced. Okay. So yeah, but I mean yeah, it's so, the old joke about uh, you know being balanced, you know, a chip on both shoulders. Yeah. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. So so you know, I I kind of left that that extreme conservative world and then ended up more in the like non-denominational um conservative evangelical world that's a bit more mainstream very yeah. Calvinistic, um, yeah. you know, God's con- controlling everything and predestining certain people to heaven and certain people to hell, most of them to hell, yeah. you know, yeah, cool. and yeah. Uh, only men are in charge, you know, all yeah. that stuff. And then, um, yeah. And so then like in, in 2015, I went through this uh, worship school where they told us that we needed to have God awareness and self-awareness. And mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, well, my God awareness is totally fine. I, I don't have any questions there. You know, it was like I fi- I had the, the infinite figured out. Um, but, you know, I've never thought about my self-awareness. And so that could be interesting. And so they had us looking at our lives. And I started, I started to see um, that I had no idea how hurt I was when I started really looking at the, at the events in my life. And and yeah. then, um, and then when I, uh, I started reading people that I had previously disagreed with then, and then, um, I really experienced a lot of healing during that, mm-hmm. that time. But then I started to realize, um, wait a minute, my theology is fueling a lot of the trauma that I have experienced. And so my theology fell away pretty quick. And, um, and so then, but then when I began to see and love myself, I began to then recognize my neighbor in myself. And I began to see their wonders and see their wounds and see how my community has hurt them in many ways. And, and so then, you know, a lot of my, um, and I could see how politics was involved with that and related with that as well, eventually. And so really over the last, um, you know, five years, six years, I've really gone through quite a shift. Um, yeah. I wanted like Donald Trump in 2015 would have been my ideal candidate. And by the time 2016 came around, I couldn't vote for him, but I couldn't vote for a Democrat. I had to vote third party, right. but okay. um, you know, but then by the time 2020 came around, it was like, we got to get this guy out of here. Yeah. You know? So, so now it's, it's kind of surreal because looking at the environment now, like, I feel like I know so much more. I was so involved with it, but so unaware. Yeah. 
and now yeah. I feel like I can see what's going on behind the curtain. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's very interesting. So, I mean, uh, uh, I mean, obviously I'm, uh, as I think we, we worked out that I'm, I'm roughly a generation older than you, which is, you know, so um, I've been around the block a few more times. So, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I've, I mean, I, so where I've got to now is that um, in terms of, you know, I mean, when people say, Oh, labels are, labels are so restrictive yeah but they are helpful mm-hmm. and particularly in my trade you know labeling giving somebody a label if it's accurate is it's not the whole picture but so where i where i what i describe myself now is that sort of philosophically agnostic mm-hmm. in other words i i can't you know that's basically a um a knowledge position uh so agnostic atheist so you know, for for a date from a day to day practical belief point of view, I'm now an atheist, um, but I'm not making a claim that uh, an absolute claim that I know there is no God. I don't. I can't make that claim mm-hmm. uh, philosophically, intellectually. Um, and the other thing to say is that, um, and I, I've so I've come from. Uh, being very much a Gnostic Christian, I mean, where you know, and th- through various iterations, um, uh, Anglican when I was Anglican till my mid, yeah, mid to late twenties, roughly. Then a slightly, yeah, fundamentalist turn uh, towards um, Baptist, and then some charismatic stuff as well um Mm -hmm. and then i suppose over the past it's hard to know when it started really but um i mean for example i mean you know when i was christian i did a phd which was predicated on you know the theory of evolution is a statement of truth Mm -hmm. (laughs) and at the same time you know i was um uh, singing singing in a cathedral choir but but again that the, there wouldn't have, it wasn't fundamental you know there wasn't a fundamentalist approach mm-hmm. to um you know the earth isn't six thousand years old etc cetera, etc cetera. um but the other thing to say is that uh you know where i am now uh in terms of my thinking um my politics have not really changed all that much. So, I mean, except, I suppose when it, well, when I was a youth, I was I was very very socialist, um, and now I'm more. I mean, I would I would definitely in the states, particularly at the well, I, I would be a um, a Democrat voter in the states, um, and uh, you know there would be bits and pieces I'd be centrist, and bits and pieces I'd be more on the left. Um, uh, but I'm very much a, a, a lowercase Democrat. And also mm-hmm. in this country, actually, I'm a lowercase Republican. I mean, I would love to see the the, the, the end of the royal family. Uh, but that's, mm-hmm. another whole, that's another whole story. But the, the other thing to say is that um, I'm very keen to, I think I said to you, I think I'm very keen to um, find common cause with people so that, so, for example, going back to um, the January 6th stuff, uh, Liz Cheney 
um, she is finding common cause with uh, otherwise entirely Democrats on that on that uh, January sixth committee in in the realm of um, uh, buttressing the U.S. Constitution, uh, having a discussion based on facts, not on fantasy. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot about. I think there's a lot about. It's basically about. I think shared values. Um, um, I mean, one of the things that I did do. I mean, I mean, I uh, back in the 1980s, and I was actually just um, uh, before we we were speaking, just reminding myself of this. Back in the 1980s, um, I acted as a press officer for. Uh, the American, um, uh, uh, he's a sort of, yeah, Christian social justice guy mm-hmm. called Jim Wallace, who's based in uh, Washington DC. I don't know if yeah, I don't know if you know about. Uh, he founded the um, uh, uh, the organization called Sojourners. And oh yeah, so bas- that. so so Jim is now, um, and so and I was just actually you know, read, reading up what he's been saying the past few days. So he's, he, he, he's, he still sees himself very much as, you know, Bible based. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was also, he was always very strong on social justice and also back in the day on, um, uh, campaigning against nuclear weapons. And so, you know, that's, sort of where i was back in the 80s so i was his press officer when he did a speaking tour of the uk and you know we got him on the bbc we got him on channel 4 news which is um you know a very big deal here so so that's really where i've been a lot of the time i mean i'm left less left now than i used to be Mm -hmm. um um i'm not i'm not um you know, I'm not for the overthrow of capitalism. I am f- still hope against hope for the reform of capitalism. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I always say is that um, capitalism is fantastically good at creating wealth, and it's incredibly bad at um, sharing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, and that, that is another area where I mean, maybe we've got common cause. I don't know, but certainly. Um, it seems to be the case historically, not just over the past, uh, um, you know, 50 years, but probably over the past 200 years that um, th- there is this um, tendency in capitalism for greater and greater uh, concentration of wealth in a few hands, unless it's very strongly regulated. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, so th- these are areas that, uh, and this impinges on, on areas like, um, you know, of social justice. I think racism and uh, misogyny and and all sorts of areas. Yeah, there's a um, there's a popular evangelical um, finance advisor here in America called um, Dave Ramsey, and he just. There was a video that came out, I think today, um, where he was basically saying that, you know, he's got all these properties, these rental properties, and he'll he'll be willing to kick somebody out. And it's not really him kicking them out. It's the market doing it. And if they can't afford the house because the market goes up, well, then the market kicked them out. He didn't kick them out. And and I think that one of one of the things I've been thankful for is that there there have been a number of pastors that I've seen on Twitter 
that have pushed back on this and said, you know, yeah. our our responsibility is to love our neighbors and yes, yeah, um, yeah, and and we can't let the market dictate that. Yeah, yeah. I I the 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 name I, I had some some name recognition there. I mean, um, as, as I've gone through, um. A sort of a yeah, I'd I'd call it a, a, a deconversion process, and it's um, uh, but but one 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 uh, the, the one of the, one of the areas I've sort of turned to, and this is where your country is far better than mine because um, religion is a lot more in your in your face. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I've I've listened, I've been listening to um, uh, you know various. Um, uh, podcast um, uh, type. So the first one I I came to was Seth Andrews, the Thinking Atheist, mm-hmm. um, um, uh, who was a um, basically an, an evangelical radio guy for twenty or more years, and he's in Oklahoma, which sounds a really interesting mm-hmm. place to live. Yeah. Um, and and Dave Ramsey, I think. I mean, uh, one of the others I listen to is um, the friendly atheist. It's a guy called Hemant Mehta, yes. who is based up in the Chicago area, I think. And, yeah, I've, heard, um, I've heard some of his stuff. And um, so Dave Ram, he 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 his 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 coverage is very newsy. Mm-hmm. So I think Dave Ramsey has got the odd name check from him on mm-hmm. this type of. Um, yeah, sometimes less than caring approach to uh, yeah um, to to life. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think like one of the things that we had kind of touched on on Twitter was you had mentioned how it it kind of annoys you sometimes when people think of Jesus as this big social justice warrior, you know? And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I I agree with you on that. I don't think he was like you know all about social justice and everything. I think you can you can interpret it that way, but there's other interpretations yeah. you can see that harmful too but i also but also think like in this instance um like here are some evangelical pastors who are pushing against dave ramsey and i'm going to have some significant differences with these guys um on a number of things and you and i might have some differences on some things and yet across our differences we're able to recognize there's something wrong here with the way dave ramsey is promoting us treating the poor yeah 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 yeah, I mean the thing that I suppose the, the 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 big thing for me, and this is you know, uh, is, and I I was sort of thinking about this, you know, in in running up to this conversation with you, but also looking at um, uh, Jim Wallace, who I mentioned a few minutes ago, is, um, I mean, in the end, I think. There are two things. Number one is I think it's it's looking at your values and do we have shared values and stuff. So do we think that um, racism is inherently wrong or not? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the, the thing that the, the the position I came to uh, what is basically that there was so much. You know, I, I'd come out of the. Um, you know all, all the places that where I'd ever been a Christian. Um, uh, basically, the Bible was um, "quote unquote" taken seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, but but uh, um, more and more, I, I, I came to realise that there was an awful lot of cherry picking going on. <laughs> 
Um, and I mean, so for example, Jim Wallace, who, you know, I know for, I mean, I'm, I'm not quite sure where he's actually physically living now, but I know for many years, uh, I mean, I've got a huge respect for the guy. I mean, for many years, you know, he was living in community, um, you know, and if you look at him, you know, he's a, he looks, he looks like a white middle-class dude, you know, but he, he chose to live in a quite poor, deprived, uh, majority black area of Washington DC, as I understand it, in community. And as it was quite intentional, you know, we're going to live a simple lifestyle in community. We're not going to, uh, run away to, you know, the white flights to the suburbs, all the rest of it. But, um, you know, something I really didn't realise um, during the, all the time I was a Christian, but now would strongly the Bible, for example, is very is very strongly pro slavery. Oh, yeah. um, th- other things I didn't know. Uh, other things I didn't know um, uh, in many circles. You know, Martin Luther was um, uh, you know put on a pedestal as this you know great you know, reformers smashing the uh, hegemony of the Roman Catholic Church. Fantastically anti-Semitic, absolutely mm-hmm. unbelievably anti-Semitic. Um, uh, you know, my uh, bit of personal thing here, my, my most long-standing friend, you know, we met, um, we met on our first day of primary school and we're still in, we're still in regular contact, is Jewish. So, you know... <laughs> I, mm-hmm. I I I just um, you know I've seen anti-Semitism at first hand um, uh, for nearly all of my life, mm-hmm. and so um, uh, so so you know the, these various strands that come together. So I now really treat the Bible as um, not really very helpful for moral guidance. I mean, I've, I'll just um, give a quick plug and I'm, I, th- this mm-hmm. is my go-to Bible now. Yeah. <laughs> um, I should probably pick that, I should probably pick that up. Yeah. It's, um, uh, it's available on, it's available online, but it's, um, it's the King James. So you'll be comfortable yeah. with it, <laughs> <laughs> but it's just, I think it's, you know, it, it, it for me, it's, um, I, you know, I've come to realise that, you know, the cliche "you can be good without God" um, is true. Um, if I look at my myself, trying to be objective about myself, I mean, I, I swear, I swear a lot more freely than I used to when I was a Christian because mm-hmm. that was a bit of a taboo. <laughs> uh, I find it quite therapeutic uh, sometimes. Yeah. Uh, um, um, yeah, yeah. So, so. I, I'm just interested how you, I would say, must be going through sort of mental gymnastics in terms of, you know, the bits of the Bible that you sort of don't really subscribe to, oh, I yes. would guess, mm-hmm. uh, and how you pick your way through that. And then, of course, uh, Jesus. I mean, I, I mean, I, I have actually dabbled with the whole um, uh jesus myth thing the richard carrier stuff Mm -hmm. i mean i i'm sort of not quite sure either way about that but certainly the jesus character just from the gospel seems a bit like an amalgamation of maybe you know Mm -hmm. different strands it doesn't seem they don't necessarily seem to be all about one person 
and but according to those records you know jesus signed off on all of the old what the bible then which was the old testament so that is very problematic i think yes yeah so like <laughs> just throwing um, in a few grenades oh yeah there. yeah so jesus in the bible yeah definitely um yeah, yeah so when i was actually it's like kind of funny when i was at a very conservative um evangelical inerrantist church that believed you know the bible is completely correct on everything including science you know yes, um yeah. they uh they introduced they also were uh, they were kind of more culturally cool i guess you could say where they had like you know videos and contemporary music and stuff yeah. And they had these videos by a group called the Bible Project, and they were showing us um, through Genesis how it was literarily designed. And it was really fascinating to me because they're like, it's all the story that leads to Jesus. And here's how the these ancient authors believed uh, you know, about things and how they how they wrote literature and how they you know linked certain things together in the text. And, it, yeah. and at first it developed this real fascination in me for the Bible, like, whoa, I'd never seen this stuff before. And yeah. I started studying these ancient Near Eastern cultures. But then all of a sudden through that, I was like, wait a minute, how much of this literally happened? Like if they're yeah. making all of these hyperlinks in the text, you know, um, from, you know, Noah's story is so paralleled with Adam's story, like how much of this literally happened? And then, yeah. and and so I, I got to the point where with the Hebrew Bible, you know, I, I came to accept these people were writing literature in their own genres that are very different than the way we write literature today. Um, and and then but then my question was, well, then what about the Gospels? Like, surely that would have to have none of that because it's Jesus, you know, it would have to be perfect. But then you would see like looking at the Gospels, you see all kinds of these same literary devices used yeah. there. And, yeah. and so, um, you know, to, you know, kind of getting down to it, I, I came to the point where I don't know what literally happened on a lot of levels. Um, mm -hmm. You know, was there literally a guy named Cain? I don't know. Yeah. There's no way to prove it, you know, no. either way. Um, mm -hmm. And so, so for me, I, I approach the Bible more as the literature of my neighbors across time, and yeah. then, then like an authoritative uh, dictation from God to me with all of the rules that I've got to like either follow or make excuses for, yes. you know, and so, pretend, yeah. or pretend that aren't there. So you manage, uh, I don't know, oh, so a very personal question. I'll say, so yeah. I don't have any tattoos. So do you have any tattoos? Mm -hmm. No. Do you have any? No, okay. Do you eat shellfish? Uh, no, because I don't like them. Okay. So yeah. you're actually, so, you know, I mean, I, I, you know where I'm going with this. You yeah, know, yeah, because, yeah. Because, you know, yeah, because, um, so I, I don't have tattoos, but I do eat shellfish. So, um, uh, you know, I, I could be seen as, you know, walking outside God's law depending on how you want to uh -huh. interpret all that stuff in Leviticus or wherever it is yeah I hope you enjoyed the conversation today and next week we're going to be doing part two of our conversation and in that one we get into a bit of how you the, the way you interpret the Bible affects you and, and Richard shares some of his deconversion story, 
We talk about how morality arises out of our evolutionary story and what kind of God we think might be more likely in that story that we have. And uh, Richard talks about how he's processed life after death and or not having life after death. And we talk about uh, some things like, you know, how poetry or music may bring us together. And so I think you'll enjoy that conversation. Those are some of the things we're going to be talking about on the next episode of The Opening. I don't think that the church has integrity to speak any good news at all until the church actually understands the reality that it is living and has crafted bad news in public policy. It has established theological foundations for oppression that have lived throughout the times and only changed shape over the generations, but has not been repented of. Bad theology always produces diminished psychology. Diminished psychology produces dysfunctional sociology. Dysfunctional sociology always produces oppressive anthropology, and then they always produce oppressive economics and ideologies. So it all flows from bad theology. Your notion of God is wrong or flawed. Your notion of self and others and power is wrong. Thank you for listening to The Opening Podcast with Rick Pitcock. The Opening is a podcast that deconstructs the power dynamics of religious hierarchies and opens us up to healthy relationship. For more information about today's episode, please check out rickpitcock.com and follow on social media at Rick Pitcock.